Chapter 21 of The Pharaoh and the Priest. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines. The Pharaoh and the Priest by Boleslaw Cruz. Translated by Jeremiah Curtin. Chapter 21. Prince Rameses began his journey in the most beautiful season of the year, during the month Famina, end of December and beginning of January. The river had fallen to half its height, laying bare new strips of land day by day. From Thebes, many barges with wheat were sailing down toward the sea. In lower Egypt, clover and beans had been harvested. Orange and pomegranate trees were covered with blossoms. In the fields, earth tillers had sown lupines, flax, barley, and had planted various beans, cucumbers, and other garden products. Escorted to the landing of Memphis by priests, the highest dignitaries of the state, the guards of His Holiness the Pharaoh, the heir entered a gilded barge about ten in the morning. Under the bridge, on which were costly tents, twenty soldiers worked the oars. At the mast and at both ends of the boat, the best naval engineers had taken their places. Some looked after the sails, others commanded the rowers, while still others steered the vessel. Rameses had invited to his boat the most worthy high priest, Mephris, and the holy father, Mentezufis, who were to be with him on the journey and in governing. The prince had invited also the worthy nomarch of Memphis, who conducted him to the boundary of his province. Some hundreds of yards in front of the viceroy sailed the beautiful boat of the worthy Otuas, nomarch of A, a province adjoining the capital. Behind the prince came countless barges occupied by the court, by priests, by officials and officers. Provisions and servants had been dispatched earlier. The Nile flows to Memphis between two lines of mountains. Farther the mountains turn eastward and westward, and the river divides into a number of arms in which the water flows through a broad plain to the Mediterranean. When the barge had pushed away from the landing, the prince wished to converse with Mephris, the high priest. But at that moment such a shout broke forth that he was forced to leave his tent and show himself to the people. The uproar grew greater, however, instead of subsiding. On both shores stood and increased every moment throngs of half-naked laborers, or people of the city dressed in holiday garments. Very many had garlands on their heads, almost all held green branches in their hands. Some groups sang, among others were heard the beating of drums and the sound of flutes. Well-sweeps planted thickly along the river with buckets stood idle, but on the Nile circled a swarm of small boats, the occupants of which cast flowers at the barge of the viceroy. Some of them sprang into the water and swam after the vessel. They greet me as they would his holiness, thought the viceroy, and great pride possessed his heart at sight of so many stately barges which he could detain at one sweep of the hand and those thousands who had left their occupations and ran the risk even of death just to see his divine countenance. Rameses was delighted, especially by that immense shout which rose from the people without ceasing for an instant. 
That shout filled his breast, rose to his head, exalted him. It seemed to the prince that if he should spring from the barge he would not touch water, for the enthusiasm of the multitude would seize him and bear him aloft above the earth, as a bird is borne in flying. The barge approached the left bank somewhat. The forms of people were outlined more clearly, and the prince saw something which he had not expected. While persons in the first ranks were clapping their hands and singing, in farther ones clubs were visible, falling thickly and swiftly on backs that were hidden. The astonished heir turned to the nomarch of Memphis. But look, worthiness, sticks are at work there. The nomarch shaded his eyes with his hand. His neck became red. Pardon, most worthy prince, but I see badly. They are beating. Surely they are beating. That is possible, answered the nomarch. Undoubtedly the priests have caught a band of thieves there. Not overpleased with this conversation, the heir went toward the stern to the engineers, who turned the barge suddenly toward the middle of the river, and from that point he looked back at Memphis. Both banks higher up the Nile were almost deserted, the boats had disappeared, the well-sweeps were moving as if nothing had happened. "'Is the solemnity over?' inquired the prince of an engineer, pointing to a higher place on the river. "'It is. The people have returned to their work,' said the engineer. "'Very quickly.' "'They must recover lost time,' said the engineer, incautiously. The air quivered and looked at the man sharply, but he calmed himself soon and returned to the tent. For him shouts were of no further interest. He was gloomy and silent. After an outburst of pride he felt contempt for that throng which passed so promptly from enthusiasm to well-sweeps and bailing up muddy water. At that point the Nile begins to separate into branches. The barge of the chief of A turned toward the west, sailed an hour, and stopped at the river bank. The crowds were still greater than at Memphis. A multitude of pillars had been set up with banners, and triumphal arches entwined with green garlands. Among the people foreign faces and garments were more and more frequent. When the prince landed, the priests approached with a baldachin, and the worthy nomarch Otoes began, Be greeted, viceroy of the divine pharaoh, within the borders of A, as a sign of thy favor, which for us is as heavenly due, be pleased to make an offering to the god Ta, who is our patron, and take under thy protection and control this province, with its temples, officials, people, cattle, grain, and all that is here existent. Then he presented a group of young exquisites, fragrant, rouged, arrayed in gold-embroidered garments. Those were the remoter and nearer relatives of the nomarch, the local aristocracy. Rameses looked at them with attention. Aha, said he, it seemed to me that these gentlemen lack something, and now I see what it is. They have no wigs. Because thou, most worthy prince, dost not wear wigs, our young men have vowed not to wear them, replied the nomarch. After this explanation, one of the young men stood behind the prince with a fan, another with a shield, a third with a dart, and the procession began. The heir walked under the baldachin, before him a priest with a tube in which incense was burning. 
There were maidens also who scattered roses on the path over which the prince was to travel. The people in holiday garments, with branches in their hands, formed a line and shouted. They sang songs or prostrated themselves before the lieutenant of the pharaoh. But the prince saw that in spite of the loud sounds of joy, their faces were unenlivened and anxious. He saw also that the crowd was divided into groups, which people of some sort were directing, and that the rejoicing took place by command. And again he felt in his heart a chill of contempt for that throng, which knew not how to rejoice even. Gradually the retinue approached the walled column, which indicated the boundary between A and Memphis. On three sides of the column were inscriptions describing the extent of the province, its population, and the number of its cities. On the fourth side was a statue of Ta, surrounded from foot to breast with an envelope. He had the usual cap on his head and a staff in his hand. One of the priests gave the prince a golden spoon with burning incense. The heir uttered prescribed prayers, whirled the censer to the height of the divinity's head, and bowed low a number of times in succession. The shouts of the people and the priests rose ever higher, though among youthful exquisites smiles and jests were observable. Since his reconciliation with Herhor, the prince had shown great respect for gods and priests, so he frowned somewhat. In one moment the young men changed their bearing. All became serious, while some fell on their faces before the column. Indeed, thought the prince, people of noble birth are better than that rabble. Whatever nobles do, they do it with spirit, not like those who make an uproar in my honor, but are glad to hurry back to their workshops and stables. Now he measured better than ever the distance between him and the lowest people and he understood that the aristocracy was the only class to which he was bound by a community of feeling. If suddenly they should vanish, those stately young men and beautiful women, whose flashing glances followed every one of his movements, so as to serve him straightway and carry out his orders, if they should vanish, the prince would feel more alone among the countless throngs of people than in a desert. Eight negroes brought a litter adorned above the baldachin, with ostrich feathers, the prince took his place on it and advanced to the capital of Sochem, where he dwelt in a government palace. The prince's stay in that province, which was only a few miles from Memphis, lasted a month. All this time he passed in receiving petitions, in accepting homage, in official receptions, and at feasts. The feasts were of two kinds, one in the palace, at which the aristocracy were present, the other in the outer court, where whole oxen were roasted, loaves of bread were eaten by the hundred, and hundreds of pitchers of beer drunk. At these appeared servants of the prince and the lower officials of the province. Rameses admired the munificence of the nomarch and the affection of the great lords around him, alert to every beck of his and ready to carry out his orders. Wearied at last by amusements, Rameses declared to the worthy Otoas that he wished to become more nearly acquainted with the management of the province, for he had received a command from his holiness the pharaoh to study it. His desire was satisfied. The nomarch requested the prince to sit in a litter borne by only two men, and with a great retinue escorted him to the temple of Hator. 
There the retinue remained in the antechamber, but the nomarch commanded the bearers to carry the prince to the summit of a pylon, which he himself ascended. From the summit of a tower, ninety feet high, whence priests observed the sky and communicated through colored flags with the neighboring temples in Memphis, Atribis, and Anu, the eye surveyed in the radius of some miles almost a whole province. From that place, too, the worthy Otoes showed Rameses the fields and vineyards of the pharaoh. He showed what canal they were clearing, what sluice they were repairing. He showed furnaces for smelting copper. He showed where the royal granaries stood, where the lotus and papyrus swamps were, what fields were covered with sand, and so on till he had finished. Rameses was charmed with the beautiful view, and thanked Otoes warmly for the pleasure which he experienced. But when he returned to the palace, and, according to the advice of the pharaoh, noted impressions, he convinced himself that his knowledge of the economic conditions of A had not widened. After some days he asked explanations again of Otoes, touching the administration of the province. The worthy lord commanded all the officials to assemble and pass before the prince, who sat in the main court on an elevation. Before the viceroy moved great and petty treasurers, scribes of grain, wine, cattle, woolen stuffs, chief masons, ditch diggers, naval and land engineers, healers of various diseases, officers over regiments of laborers, police scribes, judges, inspectors of prisons, even executioners and dissectors. After them the worthy nomarch presented the prince's own officials in that province to him. Rameses learned, therefore, with no small astonishment, that in A, and in the city of Sochem, he had his own personal charioteer, torch-bearer, shield-bearer, dart-bearer, mace-bearer, some tens of litter-bearers, a number of cooks, cup-bearers, barbers, and many other servitors distinguished for attachment and faithfulness, though he had not even heard their names and did not know them. Tortured and tired by a barren review of officials, the prince's courage fell. He was terrified by the thought that he understood nothing. Hence he was unfitted to rule, but he feared to confess this even to himself. If Rameses could not rule Egypt, and others were able to rule it, what remained to him? Nothing but death. Without the throne he could have no happiness. He felt that for him life would be impossible unless he had power. But when he had rested a few days, in so far as rest was attainable in that chaos of court life, he summoned Odoas and said to him, Worthiness, I have begged thee to acquaint me with the secret of governing A. Thou hast done so. Thou hast shown me the country and the officials, but still I know nothing. On the contrary, I am like a man in the underground divisions of a temple, who sees so many passages about him that he is unable at last to find his way out into daylight. The nomarch was confused. What am I to do? asked he. What dost thou wish of me, O ruler? Only say the word, and I will yield to thee office, property, even life. And seeing that the prince received this assurance with graciousness, he continued, During thy journey thou hast seen the people of this province, thou wilt say that all were not present. Agreed. I will command all to assemble, and they are men, women, old men, and children, about two hundred thousand. 
from the summit of the pylon thou wert pleased to survey our whole province but if it be thy wish we can examine from near by every field every village and every street of the city of sochem finally i have shown thee the officials it is true the very lowest were absent but command and all will stand before thee to-morrow and fall on their faces what am i to do more tell me most worthy lord i believe that thou art most faithful answered rameses therefore explain to me two things first why has the income of his holiness diminished secondly what art thou doing thyself in the province otoes was confused and the prince added quickly i wish to know what thou art doing here and by what methods since i am young and only commencing to govern thou hast the wisdom of a century whispered the nomarch therefore it is proper continued the prince that i should ask men of experience and that thou should give me knowledge i will show thee all and give every explanation said otoes but we should go to a place where there is no uproar in fact in the palace which the prince occupied as many people thronged in the inner and outer courts as at a fair they ate drank sang raced or rested and all this to enhance the glory of the viceroy whom they were serving about three in the afternoon the nomarch gave command to bring two horses and with the prince he rode forth from the city westward the court remained in the palace and amused itself with still greater gladness the day was beautiful cool the earth was covered with plants and flowers over the heads of the horsemen were heard the songs of birds the air was full of fragrance how pleasant it is here exclaimed rameses now i am able to collect my thoughts for the first time in a month i had begun to think that a whole regiment of chariots had assembled in my head and that from morning till evening reviews were held there such is the fate of a ruler in this world said the nomarch they halted on an eminence at their feet lay an immense meadow cut through by a blue stream on the north and on the south were white walls of towns beyond the meadow on the rim of the horizon extended the reddish sands of the western desert from which came an occasional breath of heated air as if from a furnace on the meadow were countless herds of animals horned and hornless oxen sheep goats asses antelopes even rhinoceroses here and there were visible swampy places covered with water plants and reeds in which were teeming wild geese ducks doves storks pelicans and ibises behold lord said otoes a picture of our country quene egypt osiris fell in love with this strip of land in the midst of deserts he covered it with plants and living creatures so as to have from them profit then the kindly god took a human form and became the first pharaoh when he felt that his body was withering he left it and entered into his son and later on into his son's son thus osiris lives among us since the beginning of ages as pharaoh and he gains profit from egypt and its wealth which he himself created the lord has extended like a mighty tree all the pharaohs are his roots the nomarchs and priests his larger branches the nobles the smaller branches the visible god sits on the throne of the earth and receives the income which belongs to him from egypt the invisible god receives offerings in the temples and declares his will through the lips of the priesthood thou utterest truth said the viceroy thus it is written 
since Osiris the pharaoh, continued the nomarch, cannot himself be occupied in the management of the country, he has appointed us nomarchs, who come of his blood, to watch over his property. That is true, said Rameses. Sometimes even the sun-god becomes incarnate in a nomarch and begins a new dynasty. Thus rose the dynasties of Memphis, Elephantina, Thebes, and Kusoi. Thou hast said it, continued Odoas, but now I will answer that which thou hast asked of me. Thou hast asked what I do in this province? I guard the property of Osiris, the pharaoh, and my own part in it. Look at those flocks. Thou seest various animals. Some give milk, others flesh, others wool and skins. The people of Egypt give wheat, wine, woolen stuffs, vessels, houses. My affair is to take from each what he should give, and lay it down at the feet of the pharaoh. In watching over the numerous herds I could not succeed alone, so I have chosen watchful dogs and wise shepherds. Some of my servants milk animals, shear them, remove their skins, others watch them so that thieves may not steal, or the plunderer injure. So with the province. I could not collect all the taxes and guard men from evil, hence I have officials who do what is proper, and render account of their action. All this is true, interrupted the prince. I know and understand what thou sayest, but I cannot comprehend why the income of his holiness decreases, though guarded well, as thou hast told me. Be pleased to remember, continued the nomarch, that Set, though a full brother of the radiant Osiris, hates that god, wars with him, and deforms all his labors. He sends deadly diseases on beasts and on men. He causes the overflow of the Nile to be scant or over-violent, and he hurls clouds of sand in time of heat upon Egypt. When a year is good, the Nile reaches the desert. When it is bad, the desert comes down to the Nile, and then the royal income decreases. Look, continued he, pointing at the meadow, the flocks there are numerous, but in my youth they were greater in number. But who is the cause of this? No other than Set, whom human power cannot vanquish. This meadow, great today, was once greater, and from this spot they could not see the desert, which now is a terror. When the gods are battling, men can do nothing. Where Set conquers Osiris, who can bar the way to him? The worthy Odoas finished. The prince hung his head. In school he had heard not a little about the love of Osiris and the malice of Set, and while still a child he was angry that no one had forced Set to a final reckoning. When I grow up, thought he at that time, and carry a javelin, I will seek out Set, and we will make a trial. And he was looking now at that measureless sand space, that kingdom of the ominous godhead, which was decreasing the income of Egypt. But he had no thought to do battle with Set, for how can men fight with the desert? Man can only avoid it or perish. End of chapter 21. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah.